You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. We are starting a brand new series today um, that we have been really, really looking forward to. We're starting our series teaching through the book of Ephesians. So uh, if you did your homework last week, I mentioned to you to to please bring a a paper copy of your Bible. If you have that, that's great. Go ahead and turn there. If not, bring it next week, or you can flip there on your, click there on your phone right now. But we're going to be in the NIV version today, reading it along. And so, um, but the heart of this really is for us as a church to to walk through scripture together, to, to learn and to grow. And there's this beautiful, uh, poetic coming of age story uh, that's told where this main character realizes that he doesn't kind of fit in with his family and he's different than everything else, that he's got this unique gift and talent um, that his family doesn't appreciate. And this, this beautiful story is told in Disney's Ratatouille, if you've ever seen it. If you ever, okay, show of hands. If you, non-spiritual homework, you need to go watch this movie, okay? Uh, I, I love this movie. It's cute. My kids love it. But it's this story of this rat who becomes a chef. Uh, and his family doesn't appreciate it. Um, his family, they just eat garbage all day long. And, uh, and he loves the flavors of food. And he watches TV and he learns to cook. And he's, he's trying to convince his brother in this one scene, his brother Emil, the, the main character is Emmy. Um, and he's, he's trying to get him to pair these foods together. He's like, on one hand, you, you eat this and you get these flavors going on. You eat this other one. But when you eat them together, there's this like cacophony of, of emotions and feelings and experiences that happen. And he's trying to awaken him to him. They're like, nah, I don't get it. And, and, and my hope and why I say this is my hope is that as we go through this, more than just you coming to church and hearing information, our deepest prayer is that God's word would come alive to you is that we would see this and as we read God's word and as God's word reads us, that it would, we would see it from a different perspective, that we would see it with, with fresh eyes maybe for the first time. That as we treat God's word as, as holy and we realize that it's living and active, um, that it would produce a work in us. And, and that's the heart for this, not just for you to come and to, to hear information, but for us to be awakened to what God is wanting to teach us and what God is wanting to tell us. And so um, with that, we're going to start in Ephesians 1 today, um, but we've got to kind of give us some context because we've got to realize that every book uh, is different <clears throat> in Scripture. The Bible is made up of 66 different books. Every book has a, has a different purpose, has a different theme. Uh, and so there's three kind of characters that we need to look at before we even unpack this. First, we need to know Paul. Now, I don't want to, in a room like this, I don't want to assume that everyone, we say the, the name Paul and everyone's like, yep, got it, check. Uh, and so for, for the sake of everyone, uh, Paul, uh, who we, we hear his name talked a lot about, uh, his name was originally Saul, uh, he, he was a Pharisee. Like he, he knew the religious law. He, he knew the Old Testament. He studied under uh, a rabbi by the name of Gamaliel, um, who is an expert and knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures. Like he, he was just uh, a, a master. Uh, we see this same rabbi later on in Acts chapter five uh, when Peter and John are at the temple and he's like, hey, if, if what they're doing is, is by God, no one's gonna stop them. And so we, we see him kind of scattered throughout. But where we first encounter Paul or with Saul at the time is when uh, Stephen is being stoned to death. 
And, and Paul, if you, if you think of someone who's going to be a major influence in the, in the writing of God's word, uh, you, would, you would pick somebody who, who never messed up, or you would pick someone who, who always followed Jesus. But, but Paul, early on, his, what he would do is he, he, he sought to see Christians persecuted and see them executed. And so he, he, he was on this crusade of, of trying to rebuke the teachings of Jesus. And then one day, uh, he, he had a vision. He encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was blinded, and he, he, he realized that, that Jesus really was the long-awaited Messiah. God changed his life, and from being someone who had Christians killed, now Paul is, is a missionary, and he has helped launching churches um, all over the world at this moment. And so there's a story of someone whose life was radically transformed. And so Paul, as he would go, and, and as we know it, there wasn't a postal service, there wasn't cell phone signals, there wasn't any of that. His, his way to communicate with different churches was to write letters. Now, young people in the room, letters is like a piece of paper where you would take a pen. Okay. Um, he, would, he would write physical letters and he would send them to these churches to, to encourage, to correct, to rebuke sometimes, to call out. And usually a lot of his letters are like, stop being an idiot. I love you. God bless you. Like this Matt's terminology here. But, but a lot of times he would, have to, he would hear about things that were going on in one of the churches that he helped establish. And he's like, dude, were you not paying attention? How have you gone astray? And, and, and so uh, that's kind of a Paul in this. Uh, now, the second people that we need to know in this is the people of the city of Ephesus. Uh, we see Paul's interaction uh, later on, read Acts chapter 18 and 19. In Luke's account uh, of the beginning of the church, we see where Paul travels to Ephesus and, and starts a community of believers. And he pours into them and teaches them the scriptures and, and spends years with them and pours into them. And they actually, like when Paul leaves, they're, they're weeping and, and crying. And he, as he's teaching them, he's talking to them about the Holy Spirit. They're like, the, the what? Like, we know about Jesus. Like, like, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. And so he, he prays for them, lays hands on them, they receive the Holy Spirit. Just, like, incredible things are happening. And so Paul is writing this letter back to the church at Ephesus. Now, some of the early manuscripts of uh, the letter that Paul wrote to uh, the Ephesians don't have the word uh, Ephesians in it. And so some speculations are like, this actually wasn't a letter to the Ephesians. Some think it was, it was a letter to the church at Laodicea or other. Basically, the, the school of thought is that this, this letter was written to them, but it was also circulated around to the other churches in Asia at the time. Uh, because some of his other letters he would write to churches, it was very specific with names of people, but this one is more broad in its spectrum. Uh, it's more broad in, in its conversation. And so it was, it was, they read it aloud and they would pass it along to other churches. And so um, what we believe is, is, is that uh, that is the, the context and who this was being written to. was written to them. Um, now also Ephesians is, is beautiful in its poetry and in its, its, uh, the letter and how he crafted it. Because it's, it's known as a nickname is like the queen of the epistles. Like because of, of how eloquent it is, because of how much like theological bombs that Paul drops in this, there, there's a lot of content. Um, so we see Paul in this. Uh, we see the, the people of Ephesus who are a mature group. These weren't just like baby Christians. These are people who, who, who understood who Jesus was, who received the Holy Spirit, who were 
doing God's work. Um, and then, of course, most important character that we see in this is the person of Jesus. Um, we're going to see a lot um, about Jesus, about the work of Jesus, about how everything comes from him and is in him. Uh, we see that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Um, now, I am not just a, a reader. Like, that's, that's not my natural way of, of learning. And I'm more of a visual learner at times. And so, um, like I said, our, our heart is to unpack this in a way that we can begin to dive into not just Ephesians, but throughout Scripture. And so um, I want to play a video for you in just a second. Uh, but if you've seen any of these, it's, it's uh, done by two uh, uh, pastors. They're... they're Amazing! They're they're super 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 smart, uh, but it's called the Bible Project. And what they do is they do a visual representation of each book of the Bible. And so we're going to watch this one, and they're going to begin to see as before we read it, before we dive in, they're going to help us to see the the entirety of uh, the book of Ephesians, of the purpose in which it was written, of why the themes that we see in it, and it's visual in nature. So um, it's it's a little bit long. Uh, but it's going to give us the greatest framework as we begin, begin to unpack this together. So I want you to take a look at this video. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The story of how Paul came to the city of Ephesus is really interesting. You can go read about it in Acts chapter 19. Ephesus was a huge city. It was the epicenter of worship for most of the Greek and Roman gods. And for over two years, Paul had a really effective missionary presence there, and lots of people became followers of Jesus. Years later, after being imprisoned by the Romans, Paul wrote this letter. The movement of thought in the letter divides into two really clear halves. In the first half, Paul is exploring the story of the gospel, how all history came to its climax in Jesus and in his creation of this multi-ethnic community of his followers. The second half of the letter is linked to the first by the word, therefore. And here Paul explores how the gospel story should affect how we live every part of our life story, personally, in our neighborhoods and communities, and in our families. So let's dive in, and we can see how Paul develops all of this. Chapter 1 opens with a beautiful Jewish-style poem where Paul praises God the Father for the amazing things that he has done in Christ Jesus. From eternity past, the Father has purpose to choose and bless a covenant people. And think here, the family of Abraham and Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And through Jesus now, anyone can be adopted into that family. Jesus' death covers our worst sins, our worst failures, and in Jesus we find God's grace. In fact, Paul says, that grace has opened up a whole new way for us to understand every part of our lives. He says in chapter 1, verse 10, that God's purpose was to unify all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, which is a title that means Messiah. God's plan was always to have a huge family of restored human beings who are unified in Jesus the Messiah. This divine purpose became clear, Paul says, when we were first made into that family. And here he's referring to ethnic Jews in the family of Abraham. But then Paul talks about how you, and here he means non-Jews, you all heard about Jesus and the salvation through him. And you were also brought into this family by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here he's referring to the events told in the stories of Acts about how God's Spirit brought together Jew and non-Jew into one family in Jesus. It's just like God promised to Abraham long ago. Notice also how in this poem, Paul begins by talking about God the Father, but then about Jesus the Son, and then he the end about the Spirit. All three work together as Paul tells the story of the gospel. It's really cool. 
After the poem, Paul responds with a prayer. He prays that these followers of Jesus would not just know about, but personally experience the power of the gospel, that they would be energized by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and placed him as the exalted head of the whole world. Now, in chapter 2, Paul goes back and he elaborates on some key ideas from the poem in chapter 1, especially God's grace and this new multi-ethnic family of Jesus. He begins by retelling the story of how these non-Jewish Christians came to know Jesus. Before hearing about Jesus, they were physically alive, but they were spiritually dead. They were trapped in a purposeless life of selfishness and sin, and they were deceived by dark spiritual forces of evil. But amazingly, God in his great love and mercy, he saved them, he forgave all of their sins, and he joined their lives to Jesus's resurrection life, and he's brought them back to life too. And so now, having been created as new human beings through Jesus, they have the joy of discovering all of the new calling and purposes and tasks that God has set before them. Not only have they been shown God's grace, they've also been invited into a new family. Before hearing about Jesus, these non-Jewish people, they were not just cut off from God, they were cut off from his covenant people, the family of Abraham. And for a really practical reason, the commands of the Sinai covenant, they formed like a boundary line around the family. They were like a barrier that kept most non-Jewish people away. But in Jesus, the laws of the Torah have been fulfilled and the barrier is removed. The two ethnic groups have become, as Paul puts it, a new unified humanity that can live together in peace. So Paul goes on in chapter 3 to marvel at the unique role that he got to have in spreading this good news to non-Jewish people. And even though he's in prison, he's thanking God for the chance he's had to see this covenant family grow so huge. So Paul closes the first half of the letter with another prayer. This time he prays that Jesus' followers would be strengthened by God's Spirit to simply grasp and comprehend the love that Christ has for his people. The second half of the letter begins with Paul shifting gears, and he starts challenging the reader to respond to the gospel story by how they live their own life story. So he starts in chapter 4 with just the everyday life of the church. The church is a big family with lots of different kinds of people, but he emphasizes that they are one, and one is a key word in this chapter. They are one body that's unified by one spirit. They have one Lord with one faith. They have one baptism. They believe in one God. That's a lot of unity. However, Paul says unity is not the same thing as uniformity. He goes on to explore how Jesus's new family consists of lots of very, very different kinds of people, but they're all empowered by the one Holy Spirit each using their unique talents and passions to serve and to love each other and to build up the church. And here he uses two really cool metaphors. One is building up the church as a new temple. And the second is that they are all becoming a new humanity with Jesus as the head. And this new humanity is a metaphor he's going to then run with for the next couple chapters. Paul challenges every Christian to take off their old humanity, like a set of old clothes, and to put on their new humanity in which the image of God is being restored. And he then goes on into this long section where he compares this new and old humanity. So instead of lying, 
New humans speak truth. Instead of harboring anger, they peacefully resolve their conflicts. Instead of stealing, new humans are generous. Instead of gossiping, they encourage people with their words. Instead of getting revenge, new humans forgive. Instead of gratifying every sexual impulse, new humans cultivate self-control of their bodily desires. Instead of getting drunk, new humans come under the influence of God's spirit. And he spells out what that influence looks like in four different ways. The first two have to do with singing, singing together, but also singing alone. And this is really interesting that the first thing that Paul thinks of about how the Spirit works in the lives of Jesus' people is singing and music. The third sign of the Spirit's influence is being thankful for everything. And the fourth is that the Spirit will compel Jesus' followers to put themselves underneath others and to elevate others as more important than themselves. And Paul actually expands on this fourth point by showing how it works in Christian marriage. So you have a wife who follows Jesus. She is called to respect and to allow her husband to become responsible for her. And the husband is called to love his wife and to use his responsibility to lay down his selfish agenda and to prioritize his wife's well-being above his own. And Paul says it's this kind of marriage that's actually reenacting the gospel story. The husband's actions mimic Jesus and his love and his self-sacrifice. The wife's actions mimic the church, which allows Jesus to love her and to make her new. Paul then applies the same idea to children and parents as well as slaves and masters. Paul closes out the letter by reminding these Christians of the reality of spiritual evil. These are beings and forces that will try to undermine the unity of Jesus' people and to compromise their new humanity. And so Paul challenges them to stand firm and to put on this metaphorical set of body armor, which he describes in detail. And Paul has drawn all of these pieces of body armor from the book of Isaiah and how Isaiah depicted the messianic king. And so now, as the Messiah's followers, we need to make the Messiah's attributes our own since we make up Jesus's body. Practically, I think Paul means for Christians to begin to form habits, proactively using prayer and the scriptures and our relationships with each other to help us grow and mature as followers of Jesus. And that's the letter to the Ephesians. Very powerful. It's where Paul summarizes the whole gospel story and how it should reshape every part of our life story. Cool. Aren't those cool? Um, it's such a great representation. And if I tried doing that on a whiteboard, um, yeah, let's just, let's pray. No. Um, all right. So we're going to, we're going to dive in. Uh, uh, so if you have your Bible, let me pray for us real quick. And then we're going to, we're going to read God, God's word. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. God, thank you for your word. That's alive and active. And I pray that, um, you would awaken hearts today, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would, um, illuminate our our hearts to what you want us to hear. And Lord, more than just information, um, God, it would, it would be transformation, and that you would do a work in our lives, in us, and through us, in your mighty name. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 1. Finally, here we go, verse 1. All right, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, uh, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Let's pause right there for just a minute. Uh, we're not gonna, I'm not going to pause continually, but there's three, uh, there's so many different things in this first chapter, but there's three main things that I just want to highlight. The first is that we see in this is that one, that we are blessed by the Father. Um, in this passage, we, we, we see it abundantly clear that through God the Father, through Jesus, that we are blessed by the Father. Uh, as we saw it in the video too, is that this idea of us is not just Jew, but it's Jew and Gentile alike. It goes far beyond material blessing. Um, the, the shame in the idea of the prosperity gospel, which is not a gospel at all, um, is this idea that, that God's blessing is in mere material things, in mere things on earth. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He says spiritual blessings. It's, it's something far beyond that. It's not just the food we eat and the, the things that we wear. It is beyond that, that the spiritual blessings that he gives us in Christ um, is so much better. Uh, Spurgeon says that if you think little of what God has done for you, then you will do very little for him. But if you have a great notion of his great mercy to you, you'll be greatly grateful to your gracious God. Um, better than a new heart is a new coat, is what he says. It's like this idea that we think that God's blessing is just about, you know, the fastest line at the checkout or no traffic or, or that it's going to be good weather or whatever. We, we, we dumb down the blessings of God to mere material things or momentary um, alleviations from trials. What he's saying that the true idea of the blessings of God is the things that God can only do, that one, like salvation, like, hello, <laughs> like, that's good news. The, the fact that, that, like, we were dead in sin, but he rescued us, like, that is, that's amazing news. That is a blessing, a spiritual blessing. Even the, 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 the reading of his word and being conformed into the image of Jesus, like, that is a blessing from God. Um, the blessings of God like don't make sense. It's like the peace of God. You you can't like manifest that in your life. You can't just wish upon it or try to create it. The peace of God passes all understanding. Like He can give us joy in the midst of hardships. Like we we got to sit yesterday with a with a, an amazing godly woman who in the church who who lost her husband this past week. And in the midst of that, she has peace. In the midst of that, she has joy and she has hope and she has assurance. And, and that's not on a material thing. That is on the fact that, that God is the creator, the, the sustainer of life, that, that by his grace, that he has poured out his blessings through Jesus, that we, we, when we profess our faith in him, that we have, we have hope, that we can have peace that passes all understanding that doesn't make sense. Those are the blessings of God. Those are the blessings that he's talking about, not just the circumstantial. Um, they are only found in the person of Jesus. We, we think that, um, we think that, that like sometimes the, the freedom of God just allows us to do whatever. But the, the blessings and benefits of God always come through the person of God. Because the freedom that Jesus gives us is only truly found in him. It's not the freedom to, to live your own life. Um, that's not freedom, that's bondage. The freedom that we have in Christ is found in Christ. So the blessings that we have of God are, are found in God. It's not apart from him. 
Um, it's, it's in union, in relationship with him. All right, let's keep going. Verse uh, five. <clears throat> um, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, you'll, you'll notice this like at least a dozen times, you're going to see this theme of in him, in him, in him. Um, Paul's making it abundantly clear. Hey, the, the story's about Jesus, right? All right. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed us in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Uh, Now, in the Greek, uh, verses 3 through 14 is all one sentence. You're like, man, you need some some punctuation in that. It it is one long thing. Now, in the English, it's broken up. But the the second thing that is highlighted in this passage um, is the truth that we are adopted and redeemed in Christ. So we are blessed by God through Jesus, but through Jesus that we are adopted and we are redeemed. Uh, we are chosen by God uh, before we've ever done anything or have anything. Um, now, in the Roman law, adoption was, um, was, very, was, was a really big deal. Um, adoption wasn't just about like a, a piece of paper, but adoption was, was legally like binding. It was um, the person who, had, um, who was adopted was seen having complete legal and legitimate rights and privileges as a natural-born son. Um, even so much so that the old identity of the person who had been adopted was now null and void. Even if the person being adopted had previous debts that they owed or responsibilities, that this idea of Roman adoption was so much so that all of those previous debts are canceled, are null, are void, are no longer. That the old is gone, the new has come, that it's a new person that is, that is like free, that is free from debt, free from obligation. And so when you use that word adoption, it's not just like, oh, we're in a family now. It's this picture of what the gospel does, that, that those who are in Christ, the, the, the wrongs that were, were against us were canceled on the cross, right? That, that in Christ Jesus, that we are a new creation. And so he uses this word adoption that God, um, God saves us and doesn't, I've said this before, doesn't just put us in a corner, that God grafts us into his family. He puts us into his body, the church, um, he calls us sons and daughters. Like, that's a massive thing. The, the God of the universe who, who needs nothing desires to adopt us into his family, to call us beloved sons and daughters. Um, and that is, happens through Christ. Um, we can't do that. The second thing is the, the, the redeemed part, the redemption. 
Uh, it implies that a price being paid for freedom that is purchased. Uh, the, the Greek word uh, lutro, which I just butchered, uh, means to liberate on the receipt of ransom. This idea of ransom that, that while we were dead in sin, while the wages of sin are death, and that we deserve death and, and eternity separated from God, God purchased us, God redeemed us, God bought us with a price. He's saying it's, it's, it's not his power that redeems us. It's not his, his might. It's not his, his love even does. It's, it's the blood of Jesus that redeems us, that, that bought us back. The precious blood of Christ, his sacrifice is what redeems us. And so we, I mean, even if we just stop there, like for a minute, if, if all we walk out of here today of knowing that, you know what, that God so loved me that he had, he saved me, that he adopted me into his family, having all rights as a, as a son of the king, and that he redeemed me, like he personally redeemed me of my sin, of my failure, of my faults, of my wickedness, of my shame. Like that, that sets our minds looking differently. We don't just keep our head down, but we realize that, that God actually loves us. He doesn't just say it, but he, he demonstrated it for us that he liberated us from the curse of death. All right, let's keep going as we uh, go through the rest of it. 13, um, it says, you are also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised, of the, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Remember, Paul's writing this while in prison, and he's seeing they're, they're, they're hearing about their work, hearing about what they're doing, and he's continually giving thanks. Verse 17 I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, in his incomparably, uh, incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And that God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fulfills everything in every way. And Paul drops the mic, right? Like, it's just like, man, how, how do you not like read that and just like feel supercharged, right? You feel like, man, this is what he did for us. This is, this is what he calls us. This is how God sees us. This is what he's doing in us. And that's the, the theme of, of, of Ephesians, it's a, the work of Christ in us and how that plays out through us in the church. And so what we have to know is the, the last thing is that we are sealed and empowered through the Spirit. 
We are blessed by the Father through Jesus, that we are uh, adopted and redeemed through Jesus, and that we are sealed and empowered by the Spirit. Um, now, this idea of, of, of sealing, I remember when, when we got married, um, we, we had to do the invitations and all this stuff. We did like the, the wax seal on the back of the thing because we were, we were trying to be fancy. We were broke college kids. Um, and so like, but I'm, I'm particular. And so like, I, I got the job of helping to do the wax seal. But uh, a seal would denote um, ownership. Um, a, a seal would also denote that whoever like seals something up, that the, the uh, imprint would designate who is attesting to what is inside such contents when they sealed it. They're, they're putting their name on it and saying, I verify that when this was closed up, when this, when this tomb was sealed, when this letter was sealed, when the scroll was sealed, that, that I, my word is on it, that my, my reputation, that I, I attest to, to what is written down in this. And what's beautiful is that Paul is telling us this idea is that when, when we put our faith in Jesus, that when we profess him as Lord and Savior, that when we accept his, his finished work on the cross, that we realize that, that we could do nothing to try to get right with God, but it is only by Christ's sacrifice that we have atonement for our sin. Like when we profess that, it says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our salvation, meaning that God places the Holy Spirit not because he needs to, but even for our own benefit, it's a guarantee of our salvation. Meaning that when life is tough, that we don't doubt. That when, when, when we maybe go a season astray and God is pulling us back, that we don't question our salvation. But we realize that we are sealed, that we are marked, that is a, a guarantee of our salvation. Um, I learned this, this, this trick a couple years ago when... Uh, we have a dehumidifier for our basement, and they, they always break. Like, if you want one that works, you need to get one from the 80s because that thing's still running. Um, it uses, like, the power of this whole building to run it. But, um, but so, like, they would break. And so I realized that when you buy one on Amazon, you can slap on that, like, two-year extended warranty thing for, like, 20 bucks. And so I'm like, I'm out $150 every year, every two anyways. And so I started doing that, and it worked. I'm like, this is beautiful. It's like I buy one knowing that it can break and I don't care because I put the two-year warranty thing on it and then I just return it. They give my money back. I buy a new one and this whole cycle goes over and over again. And so like I'm on my like fourth one by now because they just, I mean, it's, they just break. And, and so uh, this one stopped working. Uh, but the problem is the guarantee thing hasn't kicked in yet. Like it's too early. It broke, it broke too early for the, <laughs> for the warranty. And so like I'm trying to go through the manufacturer and it's just like hitting walls, the numbers don't work and all this kind of stuff. I have the worst luck with this stuff. Anytime I need something like worked out, I just have my wife call and they're like, yeah, sure, we'll fix it right away. I'm like, I've been on the phone for hours. Um, but, but their guarantee is, is not like, the guarantee is only good as the interpretation of how they wrote things and, and what they wanna do, right? So when we use the word guarantee, we're like, what does that really mean? Lifetime guarantee, you know, like, yeah, right. It's because you looked at it wrong. It broke. Well, that's not covered. You know, you breathed on it. So now it's your fault. This idea about a guarantee, it's, it's, it's God's words are, are solid. They're secure. And so we have to push aside our social context, our cultural context of, of when he says guarantee, when he means that when God says something, God means it. 
If God promises something, guess what? The nature of God is the fact that he cannot lie because of who he is, nor would he want to. So if God makes a promise, therefore he will fulfill that promise. So God tells us that he seals us with a guarantee that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our salvation, that he's working in us and he's moving in us, but also the Holy Spirit empowers us. That it's not our our mustering up of of strength to do the work of God, but he empowers us. And it's, he's the lion and the lamb. And I think sometimes we, we think about God, we think about Jesus, and we picture this, this um, watercolor version of a meek, gentle, um, emaciated Jesus. But he's the lion, but he's, also, he's the lamb, but he's also the lion of Judah. That he is powerful, that he is strong, that, that in heaven right now, everyone is falling down and angels are attending to him and worshiping him, crying, holy, holy, holy. That he's big, and what... What God's word says is that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that he's placed in you and I in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not a, that's not a weak power. That's not a, a, a passive, uh, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overcome, there's no hope. But he's saying that the same power that had the authority and the, the way to raise Christ from the dead, to conquer Death in the grave is the same power that he has placed the Holy Spirit in us for us to know him, for, us, for him to work through us. And so we, we doubt a lot of times because we, we think it's in our own strength. We doubt because we're like, ah, I can't figure it out. Now, there's a, there's a human aspect to it. Yes, we do everything that we can, but we trust God for everything that only God can do. And that is this beautiful thing of walking in truth and walking in the spirit that, God, I'm going I'm to do everything in my power to walk in obedience to do the things you've called me to do. But at the same time, if it relies on me, we're all doomed. But if it relies on you, then, God, there's no limit to what you want to do. And so our, our posture is that, is that we walk in this truth that it's the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Look, I, I stand before you guys week after week, and I have nothing to offer you. I really don't. This is not Matt's wisdom. This is my, not Matt's intellect. Now, that doesn't mean that I just all week long, I'm just be like playing video games, and then I come up here and be like, all right, Lord, it's time to provide. Hope there's a message somewhere. Like I, I'm going to do everything I can, but at the end of the day, I, I can't operate on my strength because you guys are like, this is, this is bad. This is really bad. But I've, I've got to trust that the Holy Spirit wants to speak through me. And the same is true for you. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you as a mom and as a dad. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you as a neighbor to love your, your friends, to love your neighbors. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you to speak truth and to bear witness of the testimony of what God is doing in your life. We have to stop thinking that it relies upon us and us alone. It is not by our strength but is by his. And that is the empowering of the Holy Spirit to work in us and work through us. And I'll, I'll leave us with this story. It's a man, you may have heard of him or may have heard of a publishing company named after him. This is a picture of William Tyndale, um, who just two days ago uh, was the, the date of his death in 1536. Um, is that he was, 
he was martyred and he was, um, he was killed for, for his work, for sharing the gospel. Uh, William Tyndale, um, he realized that, that England could never, be, um, could never be evangelized with the Latin Bible. At the time, the, the Bible was only translated into, into, from Greek and Hebrew into Latin. And he's like, most people didn't speak Latin. It was only the, 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 the Pope or the, the high church that would, would speak this. And so he, he saw it. He's, he, he went through, he spoke seven different languages. Um, he, he got a master's from, from Cambridge University. And his heart was burdened in the, in the midst of the Reformation to say how, like, he saw that the, the, the Germans had translated the, the, the Bible into um, their native tongue into, into German, but, but for the English speaking, that there wasn't a translation readily available for them to be able to hear the word of God in their own language without having to hear it from someone else. And so he sought the controversial work to interpret God's word into the English language. And our, our translations and the fact that we are sitting here getting to read God's word in English is due in part majority because of the work of this man. And he gave his life to it. It's, it's, it's said that um, in 1611, um, after seven years of work and 47 scholars, when they produced the King James Version, um, they, grew it, they, they drew it exclusively from his original work and other translations. It's estimated that the New Testament in the King James is 83% of Tyndale's work and the Old Testament is 76% of his original translation work. Here's a man who was, who was burdened by this, that we've, we've got to get to work, and he got into debates in these, uh, in these gatherings with, with some of the Catholic leaders, and, and he sought out, and this is his, the interpretation of it, but he said that, that by God's grace, he hopes that the plowboy will have more knowledge of God's word than the Pope himself. So whatever I can do, and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in him and through him, he, 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 he published the, the English translation of the Bible. And I think sometimes in, in we can shrink back from the work that God is wanting to do in us and through us. If I could just live a, a comfortable life, if I could just, you know, just make it to, make it to Friday... If I could just, you know, raise my kids, if I could just make enough, if I could just pay the bills, if we, 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 we shrink back the work of God in us to the, to the mundane, to the, the material blessings instead of saying, God, what is it you actually wanted to do in me? If, if the Holy Spirit's power in me is the same power that raised Christ from the dead, then I think our heights have to be more on just making it to Friday. I think our, 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 our sights need to be more on just living a comfortable life. Maybe, just maybe, God is wanting to do something radical in us and through us to share the, the greatest news ever told to the world around us. And it's through people who understand the gospel at work, who understand what, what God is doing in us, what he did for us, and what he's calling us to so let's be a people who hunger for God's word, who allow God's word to transform us, who believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is effective, that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. So let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Lord, we, we don't need self-help we don't need fancy speech. 
Lord, what we need is your word, your truth. And that transforms us. God, I pray that we would, um, we would understand your love for us, the depth of your love that we are adopted and redeemed and ransomed. God, that we are blessed by you. And that with that, that you've sealed us with the Holy Spirit and empowered us. Um, so God, we have everything that we need to do the things that you're calling us to do. Help us to walk in that truth, to be a light wherever we go, and to point all of the honor and all the glory back to you, King Jesus. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. It's in your mighty and holy name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Church, we love you. As always, our prayer team is down front. We would love to pray with you. As always, make sure next week, bring your Bible with you. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter two. Feel free to read ahead. We love you. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.